this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish Feast of of Tabernacles was near, uh, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Because even his brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not fully come. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without him being taught? And Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who speaks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses is not broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearance. Instead, judge correctly or righteously. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true, and you don't know him. But I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you'll not find me, and where I am you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he says, you'll look for me, but you'll not find me, and where I am you cannot come? And on the last day, and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He's the Messiah. And still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the time where David lived? 
Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse upon them. Nicodemus, who'd gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Then they all went home. Thank you so much. And I see what it has to say for us this morning. Uh, But a very important question before we begin properly this morning. What is our opinion? Uh, Marmite, dividing the nation since 1902. And the the Marmite's big saying is that you either love it or you hate it. We do need to have a show of hands, I'm afraid. Who loves Marmite? All right, those are the righteous ones amongst us. And who does not like Marmite? That's a real shame. We'll continue, continue to pray for you, folk. Marmite is absolutely incredible. Personally, I uh, love it on a bit of sourdough bread with butter, Marmite, and then a bit of avocado, and an egg on top of that afterwards. Oh my goodness. Uh, unbelievable. But yes, you can either love Marmite or hate Marmite, and it divides the nation since 1902. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning when it comes to Jesus. You see, with Jesus, you can either love him or hate him. And that's what John's gospel is is really trying to show us this morning. And the the story of the Bible as it unfolds is you either love God or you hate God. You love Jesus or you hate Jesus. You see, the thing with Jesus is there is no neutrality. You can't be neutral about this, right? You can't be like, well, I I personally just ignore the whole thing. I I personally remain neutral towards this. Uh, And Jesus makes it very clear as he continues to teach, you can't be neutral. You either love me or you hate me. You can't just accept me as a part of history. You can't just uh, understand that I'm here. You can't just ignore my reality or my claims. You will either love me or you will hate me. And that's really what we're going to see this morning in John chapter 7. And uh, speaking to someone who used to uh, be an atheist who now is a Christian, I used to hate God. And uh, I, I claimed to be an atheist. I claimed to be someone who didn't believe in God. But if you unpack my reality and you go into my heart and you saw what was really going on there, it was hatred for God, not unbelief. Um, that led to then uh, our understanding of who God was and who Jesus was, that led to a love of him uh, instead of a hatred of him. I thought it'd be helpful this morning to just go through uh, John and, and where we are at the moment, just to kind of get our brains into, there's lots of stories on, unfolding and Jesus traveling up to Judea or up to Galilee, down to Judea. And just, just very quickly, we're just going to have a, a very quick recap of what's been going on. So in chapter 1, Jesus is being baptized here in Bethany beyond Jordan. And he, walked, he goes up after that. He collects some of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, and perhaps John. He goes up to Galilee and we have Philip and Nathaniel. In chapter 2, he's up there in Cana. And he does the miracle of turning water into wine. He travels up to Capernaum. And then we have him in chapter 2, back down in Jerusalem again, where he, he gets everyone out of the temple, remember? And he has a conversation at nighttime with Nicodemus. 
in John chapter 3. In John chapter 4, he goes back up to Galilee, but this time he goes through Samaria and he meets the woman at the well, the Samaritans, who normally the Jews go on the other side of the river to avoid the Samaritans, but Jesus went up through on purpose to meet this woman who felt like she was never uh, going to be good enough, to, or she was a shamed woman, and Jesus brought her into uh, his family uh, of love. And then he goes up to Galilee and he heals while he's in Cana, he heals a boy in Capernaum. In chapter 5, we have him going back down to Jerusalem, where he heals that man who had been withered for 38 years. And that's when all the tension begins. And they get really angry at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day, and then claiming to be God. And in chapter 6, he goes back up again to Galilee. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching in the synagogue. I am the bread of life. You must eat me and drink me if you want to live. So that's, that's all that's been happening so far. And, uh, and those little stars are the miracles that have taken place. You can see only one of them has been happening in Jerusalem so far. So that, that hopefully that helps us. And now we get into John chapter 7. And uh, we're going to start with Jesus in Galilee, that, that northern part, in verse 1 to verse 9. And uh, Jesus, remember, he's up in Galilee because the religious leaders want to kill him in Jerusalem. Uh, they, want, they, they were persecuting him because he healed a man on the Sabbath day. Then he says, I'm God, which is why I can heal people on the Sabbath day. And since then, they've wanted to kill him. So he's gone up to Galilee. Now, it says here then his brothers, or really his half-brothers, the, the sons of Mary and Joseph, uh, tell him, come on down. Come, and do, come on down to Jerusalem then. Uh, and basically they're saying to him, come publicly. Come in and come down as the new Moses, if that's who you really are. Come down as the Messiah and, and become king in Jerusalem, if that's who you really are. And so remember, in John chapter 6, Jesus lost all of his followers, right? All of his, thousands of people stopped following him in John chapter 6. Now he's got about 12 guys that are following him. And his brothers are saying, hey, you know what? You should go down to Jerusalem then and get your followers. Get, your, get those people uh, down there. And uh, if you're really the Messiah, why are you doing miracles up here in Galilee? If you're really the Messiah, go down to Jerusalem and do these miracles. In other words, go big or go home, Jesus. Like, what are you doing up here in Galilee? Go big or go home. And it says here in verse Five, they didn't actually believe him, that he was the Messiah. So his brothers at this point don't believe he's the Messiah. They, they, they don't believe that he is who he claims to be. We know later on in the book of Acts, they are going to believe because their brother, who claimed to be the Messiah, was crucified and then came back to life again. And they're like, oh, you, you, you are the Messiah. We believe now. But at this point, they don't believe. And Psalm 69 verse 8 Uh, Speaking of the Messiah, I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. They they don't believe that he is who he says he is. Jesus explains to them, I'm not going to go down. Now, he's not lying because he does go down. But what he means is, I'm not going down publicly. I'm not going down the way you want me to go down. I'm not going down to say, I'm the king, I'm the Messiah. That's not how I'm going down to Jerusalem. So I'm not interested in that. My time has not come. His time being his crucifixion, his his crucifixion and resurrection. God, uh, my my father hasn't said that that's the right time yet. So I'm not going to go down publicly. So it's not that Jesus is afraid to go. It's just that he's waiting for his father's timing to go to the cross uh, in the end. 
So he says he's not going publicly, and then we have him in Jerusalem at this feast uh, from verse 10 to verse 53. So he goes down, but it says in verse 10, he went down in secret. Okay, So Jesus is now in Jerusalem at this feast in secret. And Jesus is going to stay in Jerusalem right up until the end of John chapter 10. So this is him in Jerusalem uh, for the long spell at this point. And uh, we have him, first of all, we have the, the start of the feast in verse 10 to verse 13. And, and what I want to show us this morning is the divided opinions of Jesus. The divided opinions of who Jesus Christ is and what each person is saying about him. In verse 11, the Jewish leaders are saying, where is he then? Why are they asking where he is? Because they want to kill him in John chapter 5. He went to Galilee once he realized they were trying to kill him. And so they're like, well, he's going to come down for this feast because all the Jewish men have to come down. So where is he so that we can kill him? And here's the opinion. Some of the people are saying at this point in the, in the story, he's a good man. Like He's healing people. He, he's pointing us back to God. He's calling us to repent. Surely this is a good man amongst us. But others amongst them are saying he is leading the people astray. He's a false messiah. He's leading them away from God and to himself instead. So there's these divided opinions. You can either love him or hate him with Jesus. And all of these conversations, it says, are happening quietly. In verse 13, no one, no one was saying anything publicly about him because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. So like this, these were quiet conversations in the street corner, quiet conversations over dinner. Who do you think Jesus is? Like, did you see that sign he did? Did you hear what he said? What do you think about that? But no one's talking publicly about Jesus at this point in time. So that's the, the start of the feast. We get to the middle of the feast in verse 14 to verse 36. It says that Jesus got up in verse 14, halfway through the feast. This, this feast was about seven days. It was a week-long feast. So this is three or four days into it. Jesus stands up and he begins to teach the people in the temple courts. We, it doesn't tell us what Jesus said when he was teaching because that's not the point. The point of this chapter is how are people reacting to Jesus? How do you react to him? What's your opinion of him? And so the, the, what's recorded is how they react. And what we see, first of all, is how the negative reactions are. In verse 15 to verse 18, after hearing him teach, the Jewish leaders say, How did this man teach? No one's taught him. He's never studied. Now, this isn't, this isn't like, whoa, this guy's so smart. How does he know all this stuff? This is uh, ridicule. Who does he think he is? He never sat under any of us. He didn't sit under the great teachers. He hasn't sat in the synagogue. Who does this guy think he is? Teaching us. Anyone at this point in history who hadn't studied under a rabbi, which was a Jewish teacher, was seen as someone who wasn't proper for this kind of conversation. Who does this... Who does this punk think he is teaching us? Was this idea of he has never studied. Jesus, as a response to this, says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from God. And look what he says in verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is what Jesus has been saying since John chapter 5, John chapter 6, and John chapter 7. If you love God, you'll love me. 
right? If you have God's word in you, you'll recognize me as the Messiah. And here he's saying, if, you're, if you really want to do God's will, if that's your heart to do God's will, you'll recognize that I'm the Messiah. You would recognize that if I'm the Messiah. And so basically he's saying to them, the reason you're not acknowledging me as the Messiah is because none of you are interested in doing God's will. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders. So the next thing they come around to him and say is in verse 19 to 24, you have a demon. You have a demon, which is their way of saying, you're crazy. You're nuts. You're insane. Okay? We say that. They say, you have a demon. Because a demon would would create this sort of craziness that they think they're seeing in Jesus. Jesus is basically saying to them, you're trying to kill me because I healed a man on the Sabbath. Like, you guys circumcise people on the Sabbath, and that's okay. I'm healing a guy on the Sabbath, and now you want to kill me. And the Jewish leaders are responding, you're insane. You're crazy. Who wants to kill you? But we know that they do want to kill him, and we know that they're going to kill him. And yet, at this moment, in front of all the people, they're denying it. Because everyone else is there, you see, and they're like, no, who wants to kill you? We don't want, no one, you're crazy, man. You're insane to think this. But of course he's not. He knows exactly what's going on uh, in their lives. So that's the, the, those are the outcomes. This is, the, uh, this is what the Jewish leaders think then of Jesus. Uh, but then we get to what the people think in verse 25 to verse 31. The people of Jerusalem. It says, at that point some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? Like, Because they know <laughs> the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. So like, this is the one they're trying to kill after all. And, and here he is speaking publicly. And they're not even saying anything to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? So what they're sort of thinking is, well, he's claiming to be God. The Jewish leaders want to kill him. Here he is, and they're not even touching him. And they're not even, they, don't, they can't speak against him. Maybe they actually believe he is the Messiah. So this is some of the Jewish people are thinking, maybe he is. And they come to this conclusion towards the end in verse 31. When the Messiah comes, if he's not the Messiah, when the actual Messiah comes, would he do more than what this guy's doing? Like healing people? Healing people who are 38 years, uh, 38 years of being uh, not able to walk, you're just able to walk again? Will, will, will the Messiah be able to do that? And more than that? And so they're coming to this conclusion that the common people, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for. But one of the things they're beginning to, to wonder about is, but we know where, Je- we know where this Jesus comes from. And, uh, the Bi- and we believe that there's a, a, a thought back then and that, that the Messiah would come suddenly to the temple. Because of Malachi, the book of Malachi says, when the Messiah comes, he'll come suddenly. And they began to think what that meant was that he would just come from the sky. And they're like, but he didn't come from the sky. He came from Galilee. So what's that all about? And they don't understand this. And, and Jesus is basically saying, yeah, that's right. But I have come from him. I came from the father into this, uh, this, into this world. So again, Jesus is making these claims. And he's saying once again, and if you believe the father... You would know that is true. If you love the Father, you would know that that is uh, true. So in verse 28, Jesus says, You know me. You know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority. He who sent me is true. You don't know him. Because if you knew him, 
you would recognize where I've come from. So again, uh, this maybe is the Christ. And will Christ do more things than this? The, the Pharisees get a bit upset about all this. And now they're saying in verse 32 to verse 36, arrest him. Like he's causing trouble. He's causing people to, to, to consider him being the Messiah. We need to uh, arrest this man. And Jesus says, I'm going somewhere and you can't come with me. And again, they don't know what that means. Like, where is he going? Is he going off to the Mediterranean somewhere? And what he's talking about is, I'm going to the Father again. Because that's where I came from. So that's the, the second day of the feast. Or the middle of the feast, sorry. And then we get to the end. The last day of the feast. In verse 37 uh, to the end. And uh, just to kind of help us. We're going to look at what this feast actually is. Because it is significant to what Jesus has to say here. Um, so what is this feast? It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast they had once a year uh, around the autumn period of time. It's the end of the harvest. So it's a harvest festival. Like thanking God for providing for them. All that they have is from God. So they're really grateful. So it's a celebration for a week. And it also marks the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. Where it's just going to rain buckets for quite a while. Um, so it's, it's this festival. Thank you for, 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 for providing for us. And thank you for the rain that's going to come, which is going to continue to provide for us next year as well. So that's, that's what this feast is. Uh, the feast was also uh, to remember how God looked after the people in the wilderness. So thousands of years before Jesus, or about 1,500 years, Moses and the people of Israel are walking in the wilderness for 40 years. And God, for 40 years, provides for them water and bread miraculously okay bread falling from heaven okay uh and they're eating that and in water that's coming out of rocks like there's no water what are we going to do and moses goes up and hits a rock and water comes out and everyone can drink and so that what they would do is they would remember this this is the festival they would have once a year for a week long and for of remembering god looked after us for 40 years in the in the desert what a great God he is. How kind he is. And he still looks after us by giving us a harvest every year and giving us rain every year. What a great God. And, and that's essentially what's happening. Now, what would happen during this event is this. They would live in tents or in booths for a week. Okay? Victoria's worst nightmare. Living in a tent for a week. I keep pleading, like, come on, we'll go camping. I know. (laughs) But this is what they would do for a whole week. They would live in a tent for seven days down near Jerusalem, down uh, in the area around uh, Jerusalem. And what would happen, what began to become a tradition around the time of Jesus and just before, is they would bring water up from the Pool of Siloam, which was a a little place uh, place in uh, Jerusalem. And they would bring that water up and pour it on the altar as a symbol of God looking after them. And they would read... Uh, from Zechariah 14. So all of this is significant. All the, you can think about all the water imagery that's coming here. And then they would read a portion of, of Zechariah chapter 14. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just get a little bit of Zechariah 14. And I'm not going to read all of it. But here's what would happen. In verse 4, Zechariah 14, every year they read this. And it says, one day God's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Do you know what happens just after this passage of scripture? You know what the next thing that takes place is in chapter 8? Where does Jesus go? He goes up to the Mount of Olives. Right? And they read that out. And he's like, that's about me. And then he goes and stands there. Okay? Then living water would flow out from Jerusalem. And, and water the valleys. God is going to be king over the whole earth. 
And then every nation is going to come up from all over the world and celebrate this feast and worship Jesus. And worship Jesus as king and God as the true God. So all of this stuff is happening around this time of the feast. And, and remember, during God, what Karen read earlier, during God providing for the people water, one of the questions they were asking is this, is God amongst us or not? And this is what's happening in John 7. Jesus is saying, I'm from the Father. I am God in the flesh. And the division is, is he amongst us or not? And they forget, these people here in John 7, they forget that they're part of a generation that when there was no water in Exodus 17, how did they respond? They tried to kill Moses, right? But they think they love Moses. And Jesus basically saying, just like you try to kill Moses, you're trying to kill me as well. Because the big question, is God amongst us or not? So, so all of that in your mind, as, as Kathy said, balance all those plates now, right? And we go to the next little section here uh, as we turn to the last part of the feast. And Jesus comes on the last day of the feast then. And he says in verse 37, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, as you remember God looking after the people in the wilderness for 40 years, providing water miraculously for 40 years. If you're thirsty, come and drink. As you read Zechariah 14 and you think about the river flowing out of Jerusalem. If you're thirsty, come and drink. As you take water from the pool of Siloam and pour it on the altar at the temple. If you're thirsty, come and drink from me. And he says, just like scripture says, river of living water will flow from within them. If you're thirsty, come and drink. It's the same thing he said to the woman of Samaria in John 4. If you're thirsty, ask me and I'll give you living water so that you'll never thirst again. If you're thirsty, come and drink. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that uh, as we're drawn to a close here. But again, the, the, the point of this chapter is how do you respond to Jesus? Jesus has just said to all of these people, I know you're thirsty. You thirst for righteousness. You thirst for purpose. You thirst for meaning. You, you thirst for forgiveness. You thirst for deliverance. You thirst for salvation. And if you're truly thirsty, come and I'll be the one who gives you life. We all need water. Like if you go three days without water, as we say in Northern Ireland, you're teary bread dead. You're dead three days without water, right? That's it over. We need water to live. And Jesus is essentially saying, I am the source of life. Physical life and spiritual life. I am life itself if you'll come to me. So again, we have the outcome. The the response of the people. And it says in verse 40, Surely, says some of the people, this man is the prophet. The one that Moses talked about. The one that's been talked about all throughout John's gospel. This is the one. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Surely this is him. And others amongst them are saying, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we're waiting for. So again, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And some of them are a bit later on are saying, no one has ever spoken like him. No one has ever made these claims. No one has ever said these things before. Surely this is the one. Down in verse 46, no one ever spoke the way that this man does. But then you can either love him or hate him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests and the Jewish leaders, instead of saying this is the prophet, 
This is the Messiah. They turn around and say, are you believing? None of us believe. Why are you believing? We don't believe. Join up. We are the respectable ones. We are the educated folk. And none of us believe. So why are you believing? No Pharisee, they say, believes. But we know a Pharisee who does already. And his name is Nicodemus, who already believes. And, by, and they're trying to intimidate the people into unbelief. And then they say, we're not deceived, we do not believe. And they actually turn around in verse 49 and say, anyone who believes in this Jesus person is cursed by God. Anyone who believes that is cursed. They're so hard against Jesus that it's not, we can be neutral. They're saying, you're cursed if you believe in him. That's how much uh, they hate him. And Nicodemus, he turns around and says, guys, guys, hold on a second. You're condemning this man already, and we've never even heard from him yet. Let's bring him in and have a conversation with him. Let's, let's talk with this person. This is the sensible thing to do. This is what the law demands we do, is bring him in and, and talk to him and ask him some questions and hear what he has to say for himself. That's, that's just logic and reason that we would do that. And look how they respond in verse 52. Are you from Galilee as well? You see the emotion in that? This is irrational. They're being irrational, right? Because they hate Jesus. And they say this in verse 52. Look and you'll see that no prophet has ever come from Galilee. And they're wrong, actually, because there is a prophet came from Galilee. And his name is Jonah. Jonah came from Galilee. And they're like, no one's ever come from there. So hard-headed. So against Jesus. That they are calling people cursed, they're calling people fools, they're calling people Galileans, and they're lying or fooling themselves into the idea of no prophet ever came from uh, Galilee. It ends then in verse 53 by saying, then they all went home. And what that's doing for us is it's helping you, as you walk out of this room this morning, to go home. And it's saying, it's, it's, the, the author is forcing you to ask a question. Who do you think Jesus is? Do you love him or do you hate him? Verse 43 says, the people were divided because of Jesus. The people were divided and they went to their own homes with their separate opinions. And the question then for each of us this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe he is who he says he is? You can't be neutral. The author leaves you in a position for you to go home and make your decision. Who is Jesus? Jesus will not accept neutrality towards him. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be the one sent down from heaven. So you either believe him or you don't believe him. You either love him or you hate him. You submit to him or you continue to rebel against him. There is no neutrality with Jesus. You must decide what you're going to do with them. And if you walk out of this room this morning and make the decision that you're not going to make a decision, you've already made your decision because there is no neutrality with Jesus. If you walk out refusing to decide, you've walked out refusing Jesus. Jesus wants to give us the spirit. He wants to quench our thirst to the overflow. He doesn't want to give us a sip of water. He wants to give us a river of water. He wants more than satisfying us. He wants to satisfy us to the fullness. So if you're not his this morning, come and drink. 
or walk away thirsty. Come and know God through knowing Jesus or walk away still disobedient, still rebellious, and still hating him. Those are your two options. There is no number three. You can't walk away neutral. And for us as believers who have drunk, praise God, we've drunk and we live. And if you're not, our appeal, our plea to you is that you would come and drink as well. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to come.